Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair and beauty source and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Tom is on and uh, we'll bring him in in a second. Here we go. Here he goes. Good. You can hear me. Yes, sir. Yes. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Hurricane. How are you? Doing terrific. Actually, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing a change of scenery on your side. So I, I believe, as you said, you're in Tasmania, Tasmania right? That's where you are. Uh, okay. So I'm in Tasmania. Tasmania is this little island at the bottom of Australia. And sometimes I come here to work. There's some hospitals that I work at here. But we ended up catching COVID. And so we have been stuck in a hotel for seven days, isolating and trying to get over this bug. Oh, my God. And you yeah. still made That's commitment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> well, how are you doing? I mean, are you feeling okay? I mean, has it been light? Uh, uh, okay, well, I didn't have to go to hospital. That was a good thing. All right. Thank God. But I was horizontal basically for a week. Wow. Yeah. How how things actually in Australia when it comes to COVID? I mean, I know some countries they have a little spikes here and there, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this is the Omicron version, which is the lighter version. And uh, so yes, it's not, it is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it is, more, and we are going through a uh, through a spike. Uh, there are all all Australian cities are having a spike in Omicron. Basically, everybody is, uh, not everybody, but uh, a lot of the population is unwell. However, Omicron is nowhere near as bad as Delta was. So um, we're very fortunate here, Hurricane, in Australia, as I hope you are where you are. Well, I, I have to say, I mean, uh, so far we, I've, I've had friends who had it recently, but but nothing major. I mean, so far it's been quiet. So again, I don't know. It's also, uh, there is a change of season for you guys right now. <laughs> so we just switch the, the north and the, the sun names are just switch, you know, the, the winter. And That's the right. Summer, so. <laughs> That's right. We take. Doctor, I, I lost you there. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I'm back. I'm here. I know you, you were just talking about, you know, how, how the, the weather has changed with you guys. Yes. Yes. So we're coming into our winter. Uh, in fact, down in Hobart here, we have this wonderful mountain that looks over the city, Mount Wellington. It just had a little bit of snow on top. There's just a little bit of snow left on it. Uh, that tends to be rare for Australia, although I do need to say that Australia has more skiable slopes than any other country in the world. It's just that they're not very accessible. They're a long way away. 
from. See, I, didn't, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's, listen, I mean, it's a big place. It's not a, just, it's a country, but it's a continent on its own. So, hey. That's right. It's, it's, it's quite amazing that way. Yeah. yeah. And again, I, I'm, I'm sure the winters can be just as, as bad, right? So, for the most part, right? Oh, well, winter's winter. Yep, yep. And uh, the, the more south you go here, the, the, the longer the winters, the more north you go. Uh, don't have any winters, but you have not summers. Well, listen, I, I got you on both sides here of me, so I'm, I'm actually on two okay. feet, so don't... This is the other profile, so hey. Um, anyways, <laughs> so, so doctor, we're going to get started, then hopefully we'll yeah. get you know, some live interactions as well as some live calls, so uh, let's just do that. I'm just, you know, playing a little bit here with our view so I can get you, you know, uh, the, the, in the prime scene here. So this is you. All right. Uh, this is <laughs> so I have a first question. This actually uh, came in on a chat the last time. And just, just as an FYI, last time they, they Facebook kind of stopped the feed because of the music I had played before. So I stopped playing music. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's why it, it, you know, we weren't able to chat live with them. But the question was, uh, why sometimes we feel so empty and alone, even with people around us? Okay, that's actually a very good question, uh, Hurricane. Why do we feel so empty and alone, even with people around us? And uh, Hurricane, this is an existential question as much as it is a psychiatric question. Now, what I mean by an existential question is it pertains to all of life. And it goes something like this, that although there are about 8 billion people here, we are 8 billion individuals going through life together. So the strange thing about that is that sometimes we feel like we are part of what we call the human race, but more and more we feel that we're less a part of the human race. And so uh, I've, I've used a small town analogy before where uh, you know who you are when you live in a small town and everybody knows you and you tend to know everybody. But it's like particularly in the last 40 years when the world's population has doubled, uh, there are less small towns, all small towns have become like a big city. And so we feel like an individual lost in a big city. So rather than having a connection with more people, we actually have connection with less people because we get overwhelmed by the people around us. And the more people that there are around us, the more people are different because we are essentially very, very different. But we clash with people who are very, very different. And this makes us feel very alone inside. And so this is why the big city syndrome is one where you can be in the midst of a whole lot of people and, as the question asks, feel very, very alone. And I know it sounds uh, a, a bit glib to say, but the way to get over this is actually to start talking to people. And maybe I should say first to listen to people, to get to know what people are actually like and to accept their difference. Because in our differences, and this is gonna sound like a lovely cliche, in our differences, we are united because everybody that you meet is going to be unique. They're going to have an experience that you don't have. They're going to know things that you don't know. They are going to approach life in a way that you don't. And if we can come to appreciate and accept that, then we start feeling less alone. Well, well Doctor, I mean, we, we are known to be um, like a social kind of creation, right? A social person or personality or, or being, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's keyword. Yeah. Right? So, so, so why, again, I 
it's it's amazing that that so much we're getting involved with people, but yet at the same time, we feel this this separation and 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 we all kind of have that 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 maybe I, I experience it too. Sometimes you just want to be without anybody and just by yourself. Um, yes. What's I mean? There's there's something in us that drives that. Well, part of what's driven, and I'm going to go to an evolutionary perspective here, Hurricane, because uh, when there were much fewer humans around, right, we would stick together with our clans in our caves, if you like, and we would help each other out, right? Then if you if you go to a, a time like at the Middle Ages when people were travelling from town to town, there were town and city walls and there was a forest out there where things were dangerous. If somebody was travelling, then we'd actually be expected to give them hospitality, a form of love. It's called Xenia love. It's hospitality where you, you help to keep somebody safe, a traveller safe for the night. Whereas now when we're uh, in the midst of a population explosion and we are more in the midst of strangers, it's like everybody's a stranger out there and we can't put strangers in our rooms to give them a bed for the night every night because there are just so many. Now, the good thing about the civilization that we have um, uh, put together is that we have systems in place so that if somebody is homeless or if somebody does not have a bed for the night, there are places in society that people can go to that they will get taken care of for a night. So collectively, we have a lot of good infrastructure in place to make sure that our survival needs are met. However, what we gain collectively, we start losing individual individually. And I'm going to go to some evidence that shows that uh, just as families in 18, 1850, the uh, average uh, household had about six or seven people in it. Uh, now, 2010, the average household has about 2.5 people in it. So we are having more space, but we are living with less and less people, which means that although we are social creatures, we're living less and less with each other as social creatures and more and more alone. There are some cities in the world, and I'm thinking about Tokyo at the moment, uh, where the single occupancy rate is almost 50%. So half of households in a place like Tokyo is single occupied. So even though we're social creatures, in the civilization that we have evolved, we are rendering each other more and more alone. That is that is amazing, doctor. <laughs> Just to hear that, <laughs> but but you're right. They're, they're, they're true facts, and and so. But then I want just to kind of link it to one item, which is yeah. the social piece. Now, now we are feeling alone. We are, to your point, statistically, there's that. But then, is that potentially uh, due to the fact that we're like in social media, or maybe like we'd rather cover ourselves and stay behind the, the screen as opposed to being really with others? <laughs> okay. All right. So yes. Uh, so we're linking it to social media and social media in a way is a solution to the problem of us being alone amidst so many people. Now, <laughs> if we can say that the camera never lies, you can say, yeah, you're right there. But if you want to say the camera always lies, you're right again, because Hurricane, here we are, you and I linked up from halfway around the world and we're able to have this interaction. But there's so much of this interaction hides, all right? Uh, you didn't see what I was like just 10 or 15 minutes ago. You don't see the rest of the room. We have a, 
um, a, a facade that we put up which is acceptable to each other so that we can get through these interactions. And so there's this idea of our whole lives becoming a bit more superficial. And we, we all know the studies about um, uh, people seeing how many likes other people have on Facebook or comparing themselves with the profiles that people book put on social media. And we know about all of that because we're actually comparing our inner selves, our inner existential loneliness with the facade that other people are putting in front of us on social media. And unfortunately, that's a natural thing to do by humans. And we always tend to think that we come out second best. However, Hurricane, if I ever get to live where you are at the moment and we get to spend some days together, let's say we go out hiking or camping or whatever, and we get to spend time 24 seven, then we will get to know each other far more and we can't hide each other, uh, hide ourselves from each other. So we'll get to see the good of us, but we'll also get to see the bad of us. And that means not only tolerating that, but accepting that so that we grow closer as people. And this, this is the experience that we are having less and less of in our media driven society. Well, so, so, doctor, you know, it is said, right, that uh, to know someone best, you got to travel with them, do business yes. with them, or lend them money. <laughs> Those are three things you really can get to know someone good, bad, ugly, right? To your point, everybody's got a personality until we actually spend some real time with them. And, and travel is actually a big one because that's when you really, I mean, just within the family, you get in each other's nerves. So imagine. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. This is the bizarre thing. We are human creatures, but it is natural to get on each other's nerves. If you are getting on somebody else's nerves, congratulations, you are being honest with them. You are encountering a real person. They are encountering you. Unfortunately, what we have now is a situation where through social media, we hold back the the parts of ourselves that are not as acceptable and uh, show the bits of ourselves that are nice, bright and squeaky clean, hoping that people will accept that. But the trouble with that is, is it sets the bar at a place where if you start showing that you're actually not the perfect person that other people think that you are, that that's not going to be acceptable. And so this whole idea of what is acceptable in society is actually becoming narrower and narrower rather than broader and more accepting which is very strange, given the world that we have at the moment. Indeed. <laughs> well, thank you, Doctor, for that. I mean, I know we have a lot of questions. I just wanted to quickly, since we're, still, we're live, folks, so if you're watching, you know, call some you know, friends, and you can call us live, 732-332-8493. Uh, the number's on the screen, so please uh, join us in the discussion, or you can chat with us from Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch, Twitter as well as YouTube. So if you're there, you can just you know send in your 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 uh, I guess questions or whatever you have for Doctor here today with us. I mean he is actually literally coming you know on the show while he is still coping with COVID. So we thank him with all our heart and is committed to to this mission here and sharing his wealth of knowledge and wisdom with us. So Doctor, that being said, I have the next question. Are we ready? Okay. Yes, I am ready. All right. So. I have read that the depression rate is super high in the Scandinavian countries due to long months with no daylight or vice versa, no night and the midnight sun. I personally get anxiety and really depressed on gloomy days and weather and excited when sunny days uh, happen. How does this phenomenon work and what is the psychological factor behind it? 
Okay, that's a very good question. Thank you for that question. Uh, so the question basically talks about how light affects our mood. And this is actually a very well-known phenomenon. In fact, we've, we've looked to see why um, uh, an illness like schizophrenia, uh, uh, schizophrenia occurs across the whole world uh, in about uh, 1% of the population. But there are some pockets of the world that have more schizophrenia than others. And one of the hypotheses behind that, so in other words, one of the ideas behind that has to do with light and it has to do with the amount of vitamin D because uh, a lot of these places are places that are deficient in vitamin D. So there is a hypothesis that says having low vitamin D levels can contribute to schizophrenia. We have the same hypothesis in depression and anxiety because if we think of the brain chemical serotonin, the serotonin system is what mediates the feeling of happy, sad, but also anxious calm. So anxiety and depression in psychiatry use the same class of medications when you're using medications to treat those. All right, so uh, things have gone so far as to know. So we call, uh, we have one diagnosis that's called seasonal affective uh, disorder. So in other words, people will find as this person has, that their mood will go down, not only in gloomy days, but coming up to winter or during winter, their mood will be down and coming into spring and summer, their mood will be up. In fact, it's been well documented that particularly in colder climates, suicide happens uh, more frequently just before winter. It's as though people make the decision, am I going to get through another winter? Whereas if they get to spring, it's like, okay, I have spring and then I have summer to take care of me and I can feel better. This affects our brain so much that in Germany in particular, there are psychiatric clinics that work with light to um, treat depression. So you will actually go into a light-filled room for a certain amount of hours per day to get your quota not only of vitamin D, but of the brightness, which is not only a metaphor for our brains, but a signal to be alive. So our whole sleep cycle is predicated on light. Uh, when uh, light fades, the sun goes down, melatonin gets released, and that actually will... Uh, start us off into a sleep cycle. When you wake up in the morning and the light goes back on, that is then a signal to turn off the melatonin so that it is time to get up and ready for the day. Now, melatonin is not the only chemical. We also have cortisol levels that change during the day, and all of these have to do with our wakefulness. But the point is it affects our mood. Now, that's what we know scientifically. What we don't know scientifically is why there are some people who are much more affected by this than other people. But having said this, uh, Hurricane, I'd like to say that whoever posed the question is quite right. Light and weather affects mood. And what can we do about it? Be aware of it. And to get the amount of sunlight that is appropriate for you and to make use of daylight hours because the day is for living. <laughs> well, so so, doctor, it just just on that same note, right? The, yeah. the concept, right? When when you are like some people, for example, work at night, right? Yeah, and they sleep during the day. I, I have yeah. tried that. And when I worked at night, I had a, a full night, you know, with no sleep, traveling, you know, uh, to the other side of the world, you know. 
it is very uh, amazing how your body reacts. It's not the same. You can sleep you know, hours during the day. It's never going to give you the same effect that at night. So Sorry. it's amazing how it's all related. And, yes. and so that leads me to another part, to another question. This is not about, it's part of it, but you know, just something that I came up with as, as you're talking. So, yeah. so now we, we oftentimes we talk about positive and negativity. Does that have any impact on that? I mean, someone who's that anxiety, has anxiety, depression, all this stuff based on this, will that make him, you know, more having negative thoughts versus positive thoughts or behavior? Oh, well, okay. So uh, more positive thoughts than negative thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hurricane, I'm going to come back to the sec because you, you brought up the whole idea of jet lag and working shifts and mm. what that does to the brain as well. And I just want to say something about that before we get to the positive and negative thoughts, because um, uh, humans were actually not built to do shift work, right? Shift work is an adjustment that we have made for our society. Indeed, I have made this adjustment in, in my earlier days as a doctor. I have had to do a lot of night shifts and I've had to try to sleep during the day. Um, and I am just not cut out to do with it. I, I am really wrecked after a day without sleep at night, even going into a cycle where I'm sleeping during the day and working at night. Um, it, I just can't function. And at one stage, I actually wanted to be the sort of doctor that delivered babies because it's very emotional and it's very positive. But because it involves a lot of night work, uh, I realized that I just wasn't going to succeed there. So uh, I, I did what I could to still work with people, which is uh, psychiatry, uh, but I can still work in daylight hours. Okay, so to your question about positive and negative thoughts and whether uh, light can enhance uh, positive and negative thoughts, from a scientific point of view, it's, it's a really problematic question because we don't know where thoughts come from right? Uh, the most that we know about thoughts is that uh, we have a thought or we make a decision subconsciously a good seven seconds before we consciously know that we have made a, a, a decision. So that's actually bizarre because it means that the decision-making process is not as conscious as we'd like it to be. And the explanation for that is that we make decisions all the time automatically according to our beliefs and values, which over time become hardwired into our frontal lobes. So we, we like to think that we get information and that we uh, then uh, figure out what we're going to do based on this information right there and then consciously. But in a sense, we've already made a decision based on our whole being and what that whole being has been for decades, for those of us that are decades old, right? Uh, so to the question as to whether uh, light and dark can uh, increase uh, positive or negative thoughts, scientifically, the answer is we don't know. However, dark things and negative things tend to happen more at night, or at least that's the metaphor we give ourselves. And the idea of brightness and light and positivity we associate with the day. Uh, but that's not science. That's, that's metaphor. Well, at least we, we see it as a beer. It hasn't been proven yet, I guess. Right? <laughs> right, that's exactly right. Yeah, we see it. It, it makes sense. It's common sense. But I, I can't say that scientifically that that's what happens. And I, I don't ask for any more. Thank you, Doctor, for that. So, folks, again, <laughs> just to remind you, we are live. This is not a replay. This is not a similar live. 
We are actually on the, the, the set right now with Dr. Ham live from uh, Tasmania way out there. <laughs> down, down under, really. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it's the down under the down under. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually the southern part of Australia. So, hey. That's right. That's right. So, so, folks, yeah, please, you know, uh, chime in, send in your your, your messages here, and uh, while we answer the the questions that we have already from the last, uh, you know, uh, episode, so uh, we'll continue. Our number is on the screen again, seven three two three three two eight four nine three. Uh, feel free to chat, call us. Uh, now, uh, the next question, it's a little sensitive, doctor. So I just want to, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how we're gonna go proceed with it, but. Uh, so, Mike. By the way, the, the the previous questions were anonymous, so I have no name. <laughs> um, uh, my kids are questioning some of the new changes in laws regarding the sensitive topic of gender classification. Uh, we are yeah. a conservative Southern family, and we are unable to explain this to our children, uh, age nine, thirteen. We certainly adhere and respect the law and people uh, people's choices, but we feel this is confusing to the kids and impacting them psychologically. What is the true psychological impact caused by such shift in ideology? Understanding that for millennia and under all major faiths, the genders are set. Yeah. So I mean, I, when I read that, you know, it's Donald uh, from North Carolina. So uh, <laughs> okay, it's a tough one. Okay, it, it, it's a tough one. Uh, hurricane. Uh, it is a very sensitive topic, hurricane. Mm. Uh, but uh, first thing I need to say to whoever asked the question is uh, you may be saying that you can't explain this to your kids. Well, the matter is the peak body, the subspecialist body of scientists and psychiatrists that are taking care of this cannot explain it to the scientific world. Okay. So in other words, we are firstly in an area where there are other, uh, a lot of unknowns. Now, as adults, we have to deal with unknowns on a day-to-day -day basis. The difficulty is that children do not deal with unknowns as adults. A child's brain works on different wave patterns. In fact, there's a preponderance of alpha and theta and delta brain waves in the child's brain, which means that the brain waves are slower. In an adult, we are talking in beta brain waves, which is faster. Now, the difference is that children will absorb information very quickly, uh, which is why a child can learn five languages and keep them all apart, whereas an adult learning one language is a truckload of work, and we've talked about that before. Uh, but it means that this very sensitive issue, which actually has to do with children, right, uh, not only becomes a hot topic, but it's a very difficult one to deal with as well. So the short answer is to wait until scientists get a grip and come up with something that actually helps all of society get their heads around things like that. The longer answer and the more convenient answer at the moment is, I don't know, I don't understand, but here is a framework to think about it. And that's the sort of things to say to children, okay? The thing to say to children is that there are many different types of people in the world. You are a girl, a boy, whatever, okay? And we love and accept you exactly the way that you are. Because at the bottom of the whole of this transgender debate is acceptance. And the thing about acceptance is that absolutely everybody wants to be able to be accepted as a human being. 
And that is actually a good thing because all people can be accepted as human beings because guess what? Everybody is a human being. Everybody wants to be part of the human race. And this kind of harks back to that existential loneliness that we talked about in the first question, right? We don't want to feel alone. We want to feel part of it. All right. So just a few things to, uh, to frame a, a discussion for adults in this. Firstly, we're actually talking about some individuals very very private lives now if all of us had our very private lives talked about on screen in social media every day uh, we wouldn't be too happy about it right on the other hand this is a population issue this is an issue that we as a species need to come up with so there's a balance between the individual and the population the thing is that when science started doing gender reassignment surgery, and this started in the 50s and the 60s, it was for a very small group of people that had the feeling that they were born in the wrong body. And so this surgery and this therapy was very good and found to be very positive for the people that needed it. Here's what happened, however. A study out of, this came out of Norway, uh, showed that in 2012, there would be about a dozen children per year that would say that they didn't feel that they were in the right body. Ten years later, in 2022, it's several thousand. So in the same period of time in the United States, there were about six clinics working in the transgender area ten years ago. There are now over 60. Now, when you see rate rises like that, a tenfold increase, or in the case of the, uh, the Netherlands, perhaps a hundred or two hundred fold increase in a uh, process, you have to ask yourself, what is going on? Is this the same thing going on now that was going on before? And this is where the scientific uh, community are divided. Some people are saying, yes, this is just the same thing. And other people are saying, no, this is a different process that's going on. The other thing to talk about is, is what is normal. And in all of human history, we've never been able to give a definition to what is normal in being human. And one of the uh, great advances in our society is that we're broadening this idea of what is normal. However, when somebody comes to me with depression, I don't say to them, depression is normal. You've just got to put up with it. They want to treat it. So in other words, it's a problem to be treated. And so here we are in a very sensitive area again, where is being transgender a problem? And that was the old way of looking at it. Or is it now a variant of normal? And if it's a variant of normal, what does that actually mean? And should it actually be treated if it's a variant of normal? So there, that's some of the flavour of how complex this is, Hurricane, because it is a complex uh, issue at the moment. And uh, the World Professional Organisation for um, uh, Transgender Studies, and I've just forgotten exactly what it is, it's called WPATH, W-P-A-T-H, uh, are just putting together guidelines of how we can come together as a world community scientifically to think about this very, very difficult topic. Thank you, Doctor. So, so the, the the by the way, Donald from North Carolina, that was the the, the person. Um, and yeah. part of it was was he referred to conservative, 
and also the concept of fate, right? You know, so ultimately, uh, there's there's a big debate. I mean, I know in the scientific you know realm, in the 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 like, social realm is one thing, but in the religious realm is a little more you know sensitive, right? A lot of yes. church goers, temple, uh, mosque, and or any other denominations, there's a, a very uh, there's a resistance to to this because of the, the belief, because of the text and everything, and so so that's a, that's that's a little bit of a challenge because if people are, I guess, uh, true churchgoers or like you know just believers, whatever that they believe in, in terms of religion, they follow those tenets and uh, tenets, and and basically they are you know they're very strict about them, and so there is some 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 debate in that aspect too, and, and yes. talking about accepting or acceptance is is very difficult when it comes to religion. So. How how do we relate that? I mean, I mean, I know there's always a debate. The science, I mean, church and state, science and, and religion sometimes don't they collide? Uh, and, and and this is a big topic that can. This is almost the same thing as abortion versus no abortion and things like that. I mean, it's it's in, in the same realm. Oh, it's a, it certainly has. And let me speak to that for a second, Hurricane, because what what you brought up is the intersection between um, uh, church and state. But here in particular, we're talking about an intersect between science and politics. Uh, because uh, you're exactly right in what you're saying. Uh, so because this has to do with identity, because whether I am male, female, or something in between has to do with the way I identify, right, then uh, it becomes somewhere on this spectrum of conservative to progressive. And the way that uh, our, our politics has uh, shaped our lives is over the last hundred years in the USA, for example, uh, there's always been this tension between conservative and progressive. And I mean, the bottom line is we need the progressive elements, otherwise we wouldn't advance, but we need the conservative elements, otherwise we would advance into very strange areas. And so there's a tension, but it's a good tension and we need to keep both. However, when it comes to science and medicine, politics is supposed to have nothing to do with science or medicine. So if somebody breaks a leg, uh, the whole idea as to whether somebody has a conservative or a progressive point of view in their politics really doesn't have much to say about their treatment. However, when it comes to gender assignment, uh, the idea of what we should think, as soon as we use the word should, it becomes an ethical problem rather than a scientific problem. So politics enters science. And this, this brings about something else because in a way we have this problem, if you'd like to call it that, because now we have the technology to do something about people who feel they need to have their gender reassigned. Before we had this technology, and I'm talking about 70 or 80 years ago, we didn't have these ethical questions. But now that we have the technology and we can do things, we actually need an ethics to be able to support all of that. And ethics in science and medicine always lags behind the technology. So in other words, we find answers as to what we should do later than what we can do. And that's true of abortion, that is true of euthanasia, that is true of stem cell research, that is true of gender reassignment surgery. And uh, somehow we've got to marry the two up so that the ethics and the capabilities, technologically speaking, are in harmony. And we've got a long way to go. We've got a long <laughs> way to go. 
Well, it is. I mean, this is just, you know, the beginning of it. And, uh, well, I think it's getting more in on the spotlight. And, and I think the other part of it, which, you know, now it's more of a debate is, is like, you know, you're, you can select X, meaning that you don't know and you're, you're not sure. So it's like you're limbo. And, and that, that there's also that debate. And, and also now there's the debate about, uh, where, where, you know, like for example, restrooms, you know, <laughs> is, is, a, is a question, do we, which, which way do we go? Do, do we go to the, the, the women's or the, may, the, the men's side? And that's, that's, that's also, these are all discussion topics that have been sensitive. And again, this is, a specific, you know, a month where this has become, you know, very, um, I guess, on the news and the media, everybody, this is what they refer to as Pride Month. Uh, yes, you know. yes, and, 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 and Hurricane, this, this is exactly another uh, layer on top of this. It's because we have social media and we can exchange information very quickly that we're actually talking about this. Whereas decades ago, somebody who was transgender was basically unknown to the rest of the, uh, the populace and would have had discussions with their doctor, with their support workers as to how their lives would run. Now, all of a sudden, you and I and the general population are forming opinions about things that are actually very difficult to understand. And that's actually a bit of a stretch because it's very hard to form an opinion on somebody else's life, particularly when it comes to their identity. It is. Listen, it's a tough one. <laughs> and I, I know, I mean, I, I, I started with the idea that this is going to be a rough you know, question, but thank you. I mean, you've, you've covered a lot of angle there and I know, uh, it, it's the beginning, and there's probably going to be a topic for the, the next decade, if not more. Uh, so we'll see how it, it progresses, and maybe we can have it. At a, you know, if maybe somebody else will send another question or interaction about it. We'll, we'll, I guess, react to it. So, well, that's, so that's true. But be, before we go on, uh, Hurricane, just before leaving that, uh, for us, it's just a topic. For a lot of people, including people that I work with, because I, I have worked with transgender people, right? This is their lives. This is their identity. This is their, their feelings. This is part of who they are. And uh, just even that tension of us having a cerebral discussion about really deep feelings about somebody's very existence, uh, we need to be able to talk with that sensitivity so that when we talk, it is not just about a topic, but it's about something that is very very close to the core of somebody's existence. Well, thank you, and I, and I appreciate that. That's actually very sensitive. <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, that's all right. Yeah, but so, so, so just on that note, I mean, from a psychiatry level or psychological level, uh, I mean, are there any, uh, I guess, uh, reasons or, again, I, I'm not sure, but, you know, obviously people are questioning, like, well, what would someone, why would someone have that debate? Or is that something that is just, you know, a personality or is that something that they, maybe encountered throughout their, you know, childhood? Is there anything that is actually right now determined in terms of the, the psychology and the, and, the, the, and uh, just, just science in general? I mean, I know you said that the community is still divided, but anything yeah. specific that can drive someone, for example, at an early age or a later age to, to decide to make a change? That's a huge question. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Hurricane. The, the short answer is yes, there, there are um, psychological uh, aspects involved. Um, but if I start talking about them, then I've got to talk about a whole uh, lot of them. And the, the thing is that uh, we are trying to uh, bridge uh, the objective world with the subjective world. So uh, let's go to, um, to one extreme of the debate. 
that says that people have got either XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes, so therefore it is either male or female because that's what the physical biology shows us, right? Now let's go to the other extreme. Uh, well, my feelings and how I identify, how I identify are actually very, very important and that is a determining factor as to what my gender ultimately is. Now, one was objective, one was subjective, but in our experience of life, we need both. Life is not totally objective and life is not totally subjective. And in fact, we do not have the answer uh, to where the divide between objective and subjective is. Like I know that the brain is objective and I can study different parts of it and chemicals that go on up there, but the mind is totally subjective. Uh, but we know that the mind exists because I've got one and you've got one and our minds are interacting. And so the whole subjective objective problem, the mind uh, brain interface in science also comes into the transgender uh, 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 realm to, to inform what we're talking about here. Can you see how huge this is getting? It is. Uh, well, listen. I mean, I think, I think, I think we have enough today for you know for for this. I know there's more to this discussion, and probably in time, you know, maybe there's more uh, room to, I guess, review. I guess the question came in because it's the yeah appropriate month. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Could I suggest that uh, if at one stage you decide, look, we'll do, we'll just do a whole session on this, okay? Then, then we could sort of spend all the time and methodically go through and talk about some of the issues, knowing that the very peak body had not reached answers yet, right? But it'll give people a framework about how to think about this very complex topic if we spent a whole a whole session on it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I figured this is not something you just you know, brush up, but, you know, but, but you, thank you. I mean, you covered a lot of angle in very little time, so I appreciate it. And it's a very difficult question in terms of, like, you know, the reaction and, and uh, the family impact and so on and so forth and also the personality is you know and, yeah. and what's behind it so it is a tough one uh so so uh moving on i mean we're we're almost up you know the the, the hour and again folks we are live so please feel free to dial in the number or that's on the screen or you can just basically chat with us on the uh the chat box here um or you can send your questions you know by, by email and we can uh, certainly put them out you know for questions at the next session which will be uh i guess the last friday of july so now uh, the next question is um i'm sorry there's a few of them i'm having vivid nightmares and can't seem to know what triggers them is there anything that i can't that can, that can be done to prevent these uh, from happening sorry john okay john nightmares <laughs> real problem okay uh okay so it's it's very general but i will give a general overview of what people can do about nightmares, night terrors, bad dreams, and even bad thoughts that uh, that pervade them uh, during the day. Uh, this is where, and I, I usually don't like doing this, but this is where it helps to sometimes see the brain like a computer, right? Now, the brain is not a computer. Uh, the brain is far more complex than a computer. Uh, it's far more organic and, and whole than that. But when it comes to nightmares, uh, let's talk about it as a computer. So in the computer world, there is this saying, garbage in, garbage out. So in other words, a computer will only spit out what you program into it. So when you're having nightmares, the thing is to look at what you are putting into your brain. And so that basically means 
what you're talking about with other people, what you're watching as news, what you're looking at as screen entertainment, and basically all the things that go into your brain. Ask yourself if there's something in any of that that might be driving the nightmares, John, right? So what are your nightmares about? Uh, what's the predominant feeling? If it's fear, then is there anything that you are pouring into your brain that is making you fearful? Uh, if it's anger, then is there anything that you're pouring into your brain that is making you angry? And sometimes we would like to think that what we look at for entertainment doesn't affect us. And it probably, it probably is okay in the long run, but if you're getting nightmares, then you would like to do what you can to keep that under control. So for that question, Hurricane, uh, the answer is to look at the inputs, to see what you are putting into your brain, to see if there's anything that you can control. Because the subconscious part of the brain becomes such a huge world that it is very difficult for us to get a grip of what it's capable of, all of our memories, all of our emotions, but all things that we put on into it in a day-to-day -day basis meld together to create this experience that we still don't understand called nightmares. Thank you, David. So that, that as you were talking, something came out of my mind is, is, is there any, I mean, we all heard this, especially with, when kids, you know, with kids, you know, if you watch a movie or something before, that's bad before you sleep, you know, you might have nightmares. I mean, is that really a, an actual fact? I mean, we, we've grown up with it as, as almost a scare tactic. <laughs> But, but but it is, you know, it's something that we, I don't know if we experience it, but some people might. But is there really a, a correlation to those, to those things in terms of, like, I know you said garbage in, garbage out, but you watch a, a horror movie or something and it just kind of reflects. Or you see something, I mean, that's bad, an accident or something that can actually generate those, those yeah. uh, I guess, you know, uh, night uh, <laughs> sweats. So, um, yes, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, so, so basically uh, when we have a dream or a nightmare, uh, we don't know if it is the brain trying to work something out, feelings that we have had, uh, something that we have experienced in reality, something that we have watched as a movie, or a bad prawn that you had the night before, right? We do not know. However, you end up becoming an expert on yourself. So if, if you're having nightmares and there's a particular series that you're watching that is about, I don't know, you're in the, the head of a psychopathic killer or something, uh, try doing without those series for three or four weeks and see if it makes a difference. That's doing a scientific experiment on yourself and then you can become the, the judge as to what's going on in your own head. Uh, but if you don't give it a go, you won't know. I love that. That's that's great. I mean, that's the easy solution. I mean, you're right. You just have to stop and see what happens, right? I mean, if it, yeah, it's, that's right. <laughs> it's not. It's, it doesn't take much, right? It's just a simple, simple. Uh, what do you call it? You know, uh, process of elimination. I test it out. I remove it in my lab and see what the outcome is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So there has been some uh, evidence on, let's say, if um, if violent movies makes a difference to uh, people's behavior. And first of all, we've got to look at what a movie is. Uh, we know the difference between real life and a movie, and a movie is often designed to try to simulate real life to give close to a real life experience. However, we still know the difference. So what the evidence shows is, let's say, 
uh, a movie that has very violent themes will make people more violent if they are already violent, right? But people who are not violent tend not to uh, react aggressively to that. However, depending on how you want to look at that information, that actually, that information shows that what we watch does make a difference to our thought processes, to our behaviors and our motiv uh, motivations. The question is not whether it does or not, but how much, how much is too much and how much is acceptable. Uh, so, so for example, we have uh, plenty of studies showing that excessive uh, computer and screen use is bad for your physical and mental health. And we have no study showing that um, watching a whole lot of movies is good for your mental health. But we will still end up watching movies because the question is not whether it's good or not, how much and how much is entertainment and how much do we then do to the detriment of ourselves? That's the difficult question and science doesn't have the answer there. It is amazing. I mean, with all the science we have, and there are still things that we're, we're working on, and I, I know it's just going to be a long journey. Uh, it, it, thank you, by the way, doctor, for... for oh, that's all right. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so, so again, um, folks, we are still live, so please, you know, feel free to join us. Call now, 732-332-8493, um, and, uh, you know, uh, send in your chat, and we'll have more... Uh, we have a few minutes left with doctor, so you can certainly... Uh, give you some answers, real-time answers. Uh, in the meantime, I have uh, uh, an additional question here that we can catch on. Are we ready? Yeah. So I have met many people in my life and at many times was betrayed, but the close ones, despite all, by the close ones, despite always being great and fair to them. How do people justify that? And how can I regain trust moving forward? I'm finding myself in a distant mode and avoid socializing, including social media. Jesse, I think this is almost related to that first question. Yeah. Okay, so this is very sad. I'm sorry to hear that that's somebody's experience. Unfortunately, this becomes the experience of a lot, a lot of people, and it has to do with something very basic to our human existence, and that's trust. Trust in the brain is mediated by a chemical called oxytocin. It's the same chemical that mediates our feelings of love. So the feeling that we get on and we belong together and we can trust each other is mediated by that uh, chemical of oxytocin. All right, so why people actually betray each other uh, unfortunately has to do with another huge evolutionary balance that we have between our selfish genes and altruism. So in other words, a part of us that really wants to take care of each other for our own survival. So you'll see in parents, uh, parents will altruistically take care of their children so that they thrive and survive. But there's also a point where they say, hey, I need some time to myself. I need to do my stuff, otherwise I'm not going to be good for anybody. And so they become selfish. An extreme form of selfishness is when your selfishness impinges on the freedom of other people and you actually start hurting them. And betrayals belong in this situation. So if somebody cheats on you, uh, that ends up being a very bad hurt. However, the question was also, okay, what am I going to do about this, right? Now, the wonderful thing about the brain is that it is wired to learn. From any positive experience you have or from any negative experience you have, the brain can learn. 
So as painful as it is, the question is, what have I learnt from all those betrayal experiences? Then how can I use the knowledge from those betrayal experiences to serve me better in the future? And so basically, if you're then looking to either go out with another person or trying to trust another person, you may have a boundary in there that you didn't have before, or you may ask a question that you didn't before, or you may just be a little bit reticent where you wouldn't before. And before we start saying this is a bad thing, all right, it's actually good for us to have boundaries to each other. But then when people fulfill the expectation of the boundary. So in other words, when you find that you can trust somebody, you go, oh, good, I can trust this person. But then you have to think of how to test for the next step because every bit of trust takes a little bit of courage to get to. And when you get to the next level of trust with that courage, you will then find yourself in what we call deep water. And again, you will find out if you can trust somebody or not. And this is how good friendships are made. This is how good relationships are made. This is how good trusting relationships with parents are made by being able to say, no, you can trust me. Or when you find out that you can't, that there is forgiveness and there's a second chance because both people have brains that can learn from the experience and can try again to get it right the next time. The love is in the trying, Hurricane. We <laughs> well, have I mean, to with each other. And we have to try to get it right. It, it is not easy, I, I have to say. Well, again, it doesn't matter relationship in general, not a complex. <laughs> with with close ones, uh, friends, family, you know, even sometimes your kids, your spouse, your significant other, yes. or colleagues, partners. I mean, I know we've had a couple of questions that came up in previous shows about this. And um, yeah, I mean, it's always difficult, you know, when it comes to that. So thank you, doctor. I, this, this next question, I am actually confused. I think we have, I, I somehow, it looks familiar, but I, I don't think, you know, we've covered it before. Um, okay, before we get onto that hurricane, there's just another little thing to be said because you will find that the closer somebody is to you, the more they will hurt you. Now, I don't mean abuse you, okay, or strike you down, but it's like, and it was the philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer that came up with this idea that as humans, it's all like we're porcupines that have all these quills. And the closer we get to each other, the more we're going to wound each other with these quills. But the thing is, we want to get close because we are social creatures. That's what we need to do. So even if you get hurt, you still love and you still trust. In fact, a hallmark of a good relationship is not that there's no hurt, because if there's no hurt, then you're probably not in relationship. But it's being able to rebound back from the hurt to say, okay, where do we uh, go wrong then? Can we keep trying to reach for trust and love? Sorry, I just thought <laughs> I put that in, Hurricane. Thank you. And, and again, I mean, for the audiences, I mean, uh, you know, trust is a point. Trust is a big thing. And um, yeah, I mean, but it's surprising that you said that, you know, if you're not having some some sort of hurt, I mean, there's there's it's not it's not working out. Something has to be there. So, I mean, oh, yeah. like, there shouldn't be any. But but I guess, you know, it is part of life. I mean, you have to have some of it. Well, yeah. In fact, in fact, this is one of the myths. OK, that good uh, relationships are all in harmony and feel good all the time right uh, we now have studies to show that uh, couples that argue uh, 
stay together longer than couples that don't. And that's because that people who don't argue are probably falling apart one unspoken word at a time. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's a bit of a shock because, because we live in a world of movies and series where we feel good if things work out. We think that life is bad if it doesn't work out. But life is not a movie. It is not a Netflix series. Okay. In fact, if you have conflict, if you've found just more conflict with your spouse after being together 10 or 20 years, then give yourself a pat on the back because that means that you have grown closer, right? It's another problem and it feels horrible, but you have actually grown closer. If at any stage you have just harmony with your spouse, be afraid because it means that you're not growing closer. Well, I mean, you'll be strangers if, you, if that's the case. I mean, you're right. I mean, <laughs> you... Yeah, I mean, I've been married 20 years and I can tell you, I mean, it's not always a peachy, you know, thing. I mean, there's always sometimes we, you don't, you don't always, you know, agree on things. I mean, there's, there's just a fact. It doesn't matter. Uh, I want to eat here. I want to eat here. You know, and we have to compromise. See, that's that we can talk about compromise later, but but that's a big, you know, game in, in, in plan, right? So, so you have to, and, and, and you're right. It's like, uh, that, that's, that's to your point. You said Netflix and movies because, there's there's this visual effect that we all have there's there's like almost a, a perception and an expectation that how it should look like but oh, but, yes. the reality, but the reality is that's not true i mean people argue all the time and 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 here it doesn't mean you argue like to your point like you know we're throwing you know each other <laughs> you know stuff or like you know getting crazy and get physical it's more like you know i mean you can disagree i mean that's the other yes. thing you can agree to disagree and and but the way to handle that i think is where is the the approach itself is what makes a difference and keeps you going because to your point, I mean, I think today in society, I, I, I notice the younger couples, you know, they, they tend to separate quick. I mean, the, the, the divorce rates are high. I mean, we've talked about this before. Uh, that's because there is no compromise, but they expect that, you know, it's a beautiful thing and we're supposed to just be in harmony 100% and there's going to be no argument. The first argument, they give up and it's over. Uh, yeah. And again, I'm not, you know, an expert in this matter, but but I've seen it long enough to, to know that it's happening that way. And, uh, but, but you're right, it's, it takes two to tango, as we say. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and this is something that I'm currently doing a lot of research on, uh, uh, Hurricane. So that's that's another thing that we could have a whole session on uh, if you want. Uh, but it is just a myth to think that uh, you've got a good relationship if you're in harmony all the time, okay? In fact, you, you've got to wonder. The thing is that uh, it feels really bad to be um, uh, in disharmony and in conflict. But this is, this is why you will often hear me say that the love is in the trying, right? Uh, just don't walk away. Just hang in there and say, I'm going to give this another go. I'm here for you. We're going to work through this. That's why we're together. And there are some things, and couple have told us, and these are couples that have been together more than 40 years, the things that they argued about when they were married one year, they are still mar uh, arguing after being married 41 years, okay? So there are certain things that do not go away. And you carry that with you as part of your life's journey, as part of your relationship journey. But it doesn't mean that the love's not there. In fact, love actually begins when harmony finishes. Well, that's deep. <laughs> that's super deep. <laughs> and, and by the way, Doctor, I know you you have some work that's that's being done and published. I think in this this area, that's that's uh, I think on the site, right? Just yeah. to share with the audiences, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, okay, so uh, so we've got a book deadline. We're working on a book at the moment, and it's 
talking about building resilient relationships because we live in a world where there's a lot of mental illness, a lot of isolation, a lot of hyper-individuality. And the question is, how do you actually have a good relationship in the midst of all of that? And uh, so we're, we're on the home straight, but uh, basically before Christmas, this, uh, this book should be out. Uh, and it's basically written for coupled therapists, uh, but everybody will be able to look at the scientific evidence of what it really takes to keep a relationship together in the long term. Well, Dr. Thank you. Congratulations for that, actually. Oh, so so uh, we look forward to, 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 to seeing the book or reading the book and, and sharing it with, with the people and maybe even talking about some of the stuff. Uh, and maybe, yeah, I'll take you I'll take you on that one and having a session just about this, because I think uh, everybody that lives is always interested in this topic. <laughs> well, well, this is, this is co-authored with my spouse, uh, who is an academic professor, and we've got a lot of conflict as to what order the chapters should go in at the moment, okay? You know, we haven't resolved that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, listen, I mean, there you go. Disagreement. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it happens at the kitchen. It happens at the shopping. It happens at the trip. It happens everywhere. It happens right in the book. Listen. But that, that makes it healthy. I think I think yeah, that's the other thing. People again, the expectations like everybody's beachy, everybody is like you know, uh, you know, just hundred percent nothing. But but it does never works that way. So, um, well, doctor, I know we're we're coming to the end of the hour here, folks. I mean, I, I've you know hope that you've you've uh, received a lot of information through these questions. And please feel free to join us again. Uh, the next uh, session will be at the end of July, uh, so the last Friday of July. I look forward to it. Uh, again, send in your questions, and we ran out of questions for this week, but uh, I think I have a couple more for that we can start the show, but I, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to have plenty, uh, and I know if not, we have Dr. He can he can touch some some of these topics, and we can cover a lot of grounds, but definitely your interaction is important, and, and, and I know Dr. Is, is eager to hear live, you know, interactions and, and, and seeing your chat and things, and again, this is anonymous. You don't have to put your name. You don't have to. We don't have to see your profile. I mean, if you can just do it. I know that's that's the thing. On social media, your profile is there, and we know who it is. So maybe that's that's the challenge. But but certainly, if you call in, you can just you know stay your name as you know uh, Mr. G <laughs> or Mrs. Mrs. K, whatever. Pick a name. It doesn't matter to me. You know, you can be an alien. It doesn't matter. But but the, the key here, let's have that discussion. And uh, this is an opportunity that is beyond. Uh, believe and you know, uh, doctor's time is valuable and he really takes it uh, again today. He is sick and he is with us. So, again, thank you so much, doctor, for making it. You look great though, and I'm glad oh, thank that you very you much. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I am I am very relieved to know that you know uh, everything is light, and uh, thank God you're you passed uh, you know that that critical moment. I mean, it's usually a couple of days where it's kind of rough and uh. And but you know your vitamins and all that stuff. I'm sure you you take care of business there. So hey, <laughs> um, well thank, doctor, you. thank you so much for being with us and uh, greetings to your, your partner in crime there. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know uh, as as always, and uh, she's part of this. You know she's behind the scenes. You know and, and and maybe we'll have her on that show. I don't know when we talk about the book. I don't know. Not a bad idea, Hurricane. I couldn't do it without her. Okay, uh, and it's it's not just behind the scenes. Believe me. Okay, it's a journey that we're taking together, as I know that you're taking a journey together because we're all trying to get through this crazy thing called life, Hurricane. Yes. And thanks yes. for the work that you do. No, thank you. And, and again, I like I always say, I can't do it without you. So and, and, and all my guests, you know, that you guys are the, the, the real, you know, uh, uh, mojo, the real core, you know, of, of the, the, the network and, and what we deliver in here as, as information and resources. So thank you so much. 
Uh, folks, okay, so this is it for today. Uh, hopefully, this show will be replayed, so please catch on. It will be playing all over the place. So, yes, feel free to review it, to listen. There's a lot of information, and you probably need a couple of sessions to just dissect some of that. But, but certainly, we look forward to having you on the next one, end of July. So uh, stay tuned. Bye for now.